Men in week two of our summer series say this and not that, where we are going to be looking at the words that we use, speak, and say to ourselves and to others that have the power of, well, as we learned last week from the writer of Proverbs, that have the power of life and death. Words are incredibly powerful things. And the words that have been spoken to you or over you, you know this. They've impacted your world. Do you know how powerful you are? And do you know why? Because you have lips and a tongue. And the words you've spoken to and over other people, well, they've impacted their world. So my hope is that what you took away from last week is that words make worlds. Words really do make worlds, and so we have to do the very best we can to watch what we say to ourselves and to others. Last week, if you remember, the concept we looked at was to make sure our words build up and don't burn down. In other words, the words we speak to ourselves and to others should not be what tends to just come out naturally from our broken nature. If you were here with us, you might remember, James called that a fire. Consider, he said, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Those are strong words. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesians this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do you hear that now? We build up with our words, we don't burn down. Now this week, what I want to introduce you to is what I think might be the most powerful word in the English language. One that I'm almost certain was your first word. And at one point in your life, you wielded quite willingly. Yet, yet, one that today I think most of us, I think we've forgotten how to use. That word is no. Two letters, N-O, that if used correctly, have the power to change the course of your life like no other. No. Those two little letters have the ability, if used wisely and correctly, to liberate you from your craziness and to set you free from both the expectations of others and a life that's just become overtaxed and overstressed as it's all built up unwittingly around you because of the fatal flaw of too many yeses. Now, as I said, you were once super good at this. I've had four kids, and it was all four kids' first word. Not mama, not dada. It was no. Courtney, eat your peas. No. John, play with your sister. No. Caleb, stop playing the video games. No. Caroline, come snuggle with dad. No. Truth be told, my kids are still pretty good at no with me. Yet something has happened to them and to you and I. Because what we've learned, mistakenly, we've learned that there is much to be gained with saying yes. I mean, let's be honest, right? People love it when you say yes. Yes makes you friends. Yes makes you popular. Yes gets you accepted. Yes builds your influence. Yes builds your resume. 
We say yes to people and obligations and responsibilities and purchases and schedules and burdens. And I know that some of you are feeling this because over time, day after day and year after year and yes after yes, we wind up as a people with very full schedules and very empty lives. We become yes machines breaking down mentally and physically under the weight of our yeses. Shauna Nyquist put some words to this feeling in her book, Present Over Perfect. She wrote, And so, if you, like me, have said too many yeses and found that all that hopeful, exciting, wide-open intention has actually left you scraped raw and empty, the word that can change everything is no. I know, she said, I don't like it either. Yes, it's fun and sparkly and printed on tote bags. No? I mean, no. What if you saw somebody wearing a sweatshirt that just said, no, I don't want to sit next to that bundle of fun. But no became, oh, this is so good. Listen to this, church. But no became the scalpel I wielded as I remade my life, slicing through the tender tissue of what needed to go and what I wanted to remain. She said, my mentor's words rang in my ears. Stop, right now, remake your life. Because remember, guys, words make worlds. Remake your life from the inside out. And I don't know a way to remake anything without first taking down the existing structures, and that's what no does. No puts the brakes on your screaming, fast-paced life and gives you a chance to stop and inspect just exactly what it is that you've created. That's so good. No is the scalpel I wielded as I remade my life. And friends, this same scalpel can remake yours. No is the way back to our sanity. No is the way back to our purpose. No is the key to building the kind of life that you want. And no is the key to discovering your God-focused, Christ-centered, clarity-crystallized, calling-pursuing destiny. If you just keep yes, yes, yesing everything, everyone, every purchase, every opportunity, you are actually, unintendedly, saying no to the things that you really want. Like rest and peace and time and energy and freedom. Guys, if you are not careful with your yeses, you start to say no to some very important things without even realizing it because you can't give God your best yes without learning to say no first. Have you heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment? In 1972, this um, experiment was led by psychologist Walter Mischel. And, and during it, a child is offered a choice between one small but Im immediate reward or two small rewards if they waited for a period of time. Now, during that period, the researcher would leave the room for about 15 minutes and then return. And they would watch the kids through a mirror. They've redone this many, many times. It's a classic study. Here's one quick version of it. Check this out. Sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. 
When I come back, I'll give you t another one. So then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really So it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> Adorable and hilarious, right? And also powerful. Because here's what researchers discovered regarding the power of no. These children who had the discipline to say no in the face of a sugary temptation at the age of five, when tracked over their lifetime, they tended to have better life outcomes, as measured by SAT scores, educational attainment, body mass index, and all kinds of other life measures. And so we, just as we saw with those kids, we have impulse issues, and sometimes, and, and you know this, even though you might not want Given the right temptation, given the right situation, we have a hard time saying no. And you need to know, literally, as I speak to you this morning, some of the smartest people in the world are working on ways to get you to say yes. There's a lot of money to be made in yes. Jordan Belfort, famously known as the Wolf of Wall Street, says that he trained his people that if they wanted to generate a yes, 
it would help to use exactly the right tone of voice. And then he would tell them to ask the person a few innocuous questions and get them to agree with you. These utterances, these little yes things are called micro-agreements. Saying yes makes it hard to say no. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why today you have a $500 car payment you believe you agreed to. Yet, brilliant people have also understood the power of no forever. I love this quote from Warren Buffett. The difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. And it's not just the modern-day oracle from Omaha that understands this. The scriptures are replete with the story of no's. Joseph, one of the founding fathers of the Israelites, who we meet as a teenage Hebrew boy around 1850 B.C., He's one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Well, he's not just one of the 12 sons. He's actually the most favorite son of Jacob, which all the other brothers knew and began to resent over time. And, well, one day the other boys, and some of you know this story, they're fed up with their brother and his fancy dream coat, so they decide they're going to do away with him. And through a series of events, instead of killing Joseph, they wind up selling him to slave traders, and then they go back and tell Jacob that he had been killed by a wild animal. But that's not what happened. Joseph winds up on an auction block in Egypt, and he's purchased by a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar isn't just any run-of-the-mill Egyptian. Potiphar is the captain of Pharaoh's palace guard. And so Joseph winds up being Potiphar's right-hand man. He outworks all the others in the palace, and Potiphar just increasing, keeps increasing Joseph's profile and his responsibilities. He's so remarkable that the account in Genesis says this. So Potiphar left everything he had, everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Guys, Joseph is running the whole place, but then check this out. Some of you know this rather PG-13 turn. Now, Joseph was a well-built and handsome. Many of you might remember Joe Fleck. He was an elder in our church. Joe would always tell me that this was his life verse. After a while, his master's wife took notice of this well-built and handsome man named Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And so here you have this 19-year-old Hebrew boy who finds himself in quite a Mrs. Robinson situation, except this is Mrs. Potiphar. And so what's he do? I mean, my guess is that, you know, Mrs. Potiphar is not an unattractive woman. And I mean, he's a young, virile, good-looking man full of teenage hormones. And, I mean, he had to be thinking who would know, right? Or at least you think he might be thinking that. Certainly Mrs. Potiphar is going to keep it a secret. And I mean, gosh, if he says no, he could insult her, and who knows what she might tell her husband. And so at some level, if you're Joseph, if you kind of weigh out the options, yes seems to be the easy answer. Because in the short term, it's going to feel pretty good, and in the long term, it just might save his life. But that's not his answer. Here's his answer. But he refused. In other words, no. Two letters, N-O. And I think the real story here, guys, the real lesson for us in the story is why. In light of the easy yes, what made Joseph say no? 
Well, he actually speaks it out to Mrs. Potiphar for the reason, and Moses records it for us, so maybe we could learn a thing or two about the power and the purpose of saying no. He looks at her and he goes, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has, was, has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? In other words, Mrs. Potiphar, you're a beautiful woman. Thanks for the offer. But, but you don't understand. I know who I am, and I know what I'm doing. I, I'm the greatest person in this whole castle. My master, he's given everything over to my care. That's who I am. And Mrs. Potiphar, I have a purpose and a mission. It's to take care of everything that my master has entrusted to me. I mean, Mrs. Potiphar, if I was the, to sleep with you, it's going to go against my identity. It's going to go against my mission. I'd sin against your husband and God. And that's not just who I am. It's not just whose I am. It's not who I want to be. Mrs. Potiphar, I think I'm going to take a pass. And Moses concludes, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And why? Because he knew who he was. He knew whose he was. And he knew the life he wanted to have. Guys, when you're clear on who you are, when you're clear on whose you are, and when you're clear about the life you want, when you're clear about the life that God has called you to, it gets really clear on when to say no. Now you see this time and time again in the scriptures. The power of no in the life of God's people. Nehemiah, as detailed in the Old Testament book which bears his name, he was in Jerusalem helping to rebuild the city of God. Nehemiah knew who he was. He knew what his calling was. He was called to build that city. And of course, some of you know this, the more clarity you have on your call, the more people are going to try to pull you away from it, from whatever God is calling you to. For Nehemiah, people keep showing up, trying to meet with him, which wouldn't seem like a big deal. I mean, heck, I could stop and go down for a meeting. Building this city is hard work. It's just a meeting. It's just a meeting. You know that temptation, don't you? I mean, I could just drop the book now and go to the party. It's just a party. I, you know, get up early tomorrow. I'll study later. You know, I, I, I'm tired of being in this hotel room. I could just go down to the hotel bar. I mean, I'm not going to be there all night. It's just one drink. It's just, well, what could happen? See, for all of us who know the kind of people God wants us to be, for all of us who want to live the kind of life that God has for us to live, for all of us who need to learn how to say those two little letters, N-O, check out Nehemiah's response. He says, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should I stop the work, excuse me, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Guys, that's a refrigerator quote right there. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. I am building a great marriage, and I cannot go down. I am trying to be the dad God called me to be, that my kids need me to be. I cannot go down. 
I am trying to live within my means responsibly. I'm trying to prioritize the work of God with my finances so I cannot buy, so I cannot sign. Four times, Nehemiah says, they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. No, 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 no. And why? Because like Joseph, he knew who he was, he knew whose he was, and he knew what he was called to do. He knew the life he wanted to have, and so he learned to say no. John Ortberg points this out so wonderfully. Since nobody was ever so certain of who they were, whose they were, and what their mission was, do you know who the best person at saying no in the history of the world was? Jesus. Many of you know he starts his ministry out with three great big no's. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. The temptation for bread alone. The temptation for stuff. The temptation to take matters into our own hands. The temptation to provide for ourselves and hoard for ourselves and build bigger barns and not rely on God. The temptation towards materialism. This is Satan's great marshmallow experiment on Jesus. But Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Guys, wouldn't it be wonderful if every time we were tempted to say yes to yet another material thing, more stuff, more debt, more payments, more clutter, wouldn't it be wonderful to just say, no, 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 I don't need that. The, the, car, the car God provided for me is already fine. The house I have now is big enough. My life is not going to be getting fuller or richer by acquiring more. And so the devil led him up to a high place and showed him, an, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'm going to give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it'll be all yours. Temptation number two, I'm going to give you all the authority and the splendor. This isn't stuff. This is power. This is title. This is reputation. Say yes to the promotion, and you'll get a bigger check and a bigger office. I mean, you're going to have to move out of town and pull your kids out of school, and your commute's going to double, but you're going to have SVP next to your name. You know, if you just say yes, you can be on the committee. Just say yes, and you can be in charge. Just say yes, and you can be up front. Just say yes, and you can be on camera. You could be in the lead. I mean, you're going to be out every night. You're going to be running so tired, your nerves are going to be shot, but heck, people are going to think you're winning and that you're important because you're so busy. And Jesus answered him and said, look, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And with that, Jesus says no to power and promotion and fame and, and authority because he realizes it's all fake. It's, a di it's idolatrous. You know you can say no to the craziness. Let me take it a step further. You have to say no to the craziness because you can't give God your best yes if you don't give anyone a no. You will fill up your time with so much stuff. People are going to think you're really important because you're really busy. But God is the one that's just going to keep getting pushed to the side, pushed to the side. Hard to worship God and serve Him only when you're serving everyone else and everything else. And so finally, the devil leads him 
uh, into Jerusalem and has him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down for here, for it's written, I love this, the devil quotes scripture to Jesus. That's a sermon in its own right. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus looks and answers, it said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And see, here's this third temptation towards pride. We have a hard time saying no here. Jesus, if you really want to stand out and have people know who you are, you really want them to worship you, then if you'll just do this, then they're going to know that you're the Messiah. They'll know how important you are. Just jump. And see, for you and me, this might be the hardest thing because it's the hardest thing to say no to because so many of us are people pleasers. We don't want to let people down or hurt anybody's feelings. We care too much about what they think of us and not, about, not enough about preserving for God our time or our yeses because we have to say no to people in order to say yes to God. We could learn a lot from Jesus, couldn't we, when it comes to saying no? I mean, think of it. Ortberg points out, who in Jesus' life did he not disappoint? The crowds all wanted him to be king. Jesus said no. The Pharisees are saying, you're hanging out with the wrong people. You need to start hanging around with the right people. Jesus said no. His family, Mary and Joseph and his brothers said, you're crazy, something's wrong, you need to come home. Jesus says to his family, no. Herod tells him, well, if you'll just perform a sign, then I would know. Jesus says, no. James and John say, well, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit on your left and he sit on your right? And Jesus says, no. What allowed him to do it? Because, I mean, heck, Jesus is fully man and fully God, so that fully man part of him, it must have been hard to be a constant disappointment. And again, he gives us the answer. Mark records it. Jesus had been in the city of Capernaum healing all kinds of diseases, but then check this out. The next day, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You know, no gives you a little bit of room in your life. Well, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they explained, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. And Jesus replied, all right then, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, because that is why I've come. You see, he knew who he was. He knew whose he was, and he knew what he wanted to do. He knew what his father had for him. He understood his calling. And so I have to ask you this morning, do you? Because in order to give God your best yes, you're likely going to have to give somebody else at least a gentle no. Jesus says no to healings. Jesus says no to feedings. And then on the cross, Jesus in his death gives us the greatest example the world would ever see of no. Luke records that the soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine with vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And Jesus, who was the Messiah and could have called down 10,000 angels, Jesus gives us the greatest example of no the world has ever seen. What allowed him to do it? He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. 
and he knew what he was called to do. Jesus said no, and in doing so, paid the price for the sins of all mankind, for all of those who would come after him and confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that he's Lord. My friends, Jesus said no to them so that God might say yes to you. And so this morning, this week, my question for you is this, to whom or to what are you going to say no in order that you might say yes to him? Friends, it's time to take the scalpel of no to our overcommitted, overindulged, overinflated lives. If you just keep saying yes, 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 please understand that in so doing, when it comes to the things of God and the things that really count in this life, like your marriage and your kids and his kingdom and his calling, you're probably saying no. And remember, you are carrying on a great project. You cannot go down. When it comes to things that impact his great project, it's time to say no and not yes. Practice it this week, Mendham, and I'll see you right back here next Sunday morning.